Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Ruck, everybody. This time with live rugby to talk about. Six games in the latest round of the Gallagher Premiership. Let's get straight on to it because it was an exciting and a newsworthy weekend worthy of the comments of the great Stuart Barnes of the Times of Sunday Times, Owen Flott, still the reigning Rugby Writer of the Year from the Times, and also myself, Stephen Jones, with Lawrence Donalio. Lawrence, a great win for Wasps yesterday. Fourth in the table, you must be delighted. Lawrence? Lawrence? <laughs> Barnes, are you in? Have you seen Lawrence? I don't know. There was a, somebody said they saw him on the M5 heading down to Exeter, but that was an unreliable source in the West Country. That's all I know. But, but he was the he was the compare today. Slotty, have you seen Lawrence? No, I've seen his script. It's a it's a cracking script that he's got for today's show. So um, should we just hang on for ten minutes for him? No, I tell you what, let's get on with it, and then he won't be on. Okay. Anyway, sorry, oh. just some some track from our great panel, the great Lawrence Tanalio, today's compare. We'll try and get a robot later to read out his script. Stuart, let's go straight into the rugby this weekend. First of all, I thought the crowds were shocking, didn't you? <laughs> but what I would say is, considering uh, at Bath Saturday, the official crowd was given before kickoff, and I felt that they made hell of a noise. There was a time in the second half when that old Bath chant was coming from the flower pot stand. Quite incredible, considering you couldn't see anyone there. So, well done to the single bloke shouting. What did they give us the crowd figure? Did they say zero? And now they get at Bath, we had an official attendance. I think that even the players were pl- part of crowd figures at the wreck. Joking apart, at, at Bristol, I'm not casting any aspersions, but there seemed to be a lot of people there dressed as medical people. And there was a heck of a cheer at the end when Bristol won. But I'm not, maybe all the medicos were Bristol fans. But uh, Stuart, we kicked off on Friday with a match that uh, you attended, as, as did Owen. It didn't really set off the thing uh, as we would have wanted, did it? No, it's a poor game. You know, there's no doubt. Let's get this out of the way. The comparison, the New Zealand tournament, they struggled with the uh, referee and interpretation at the breakdown early on. They mastered it. So let's hope that happens in the Premiership. But Sale, they too struggled with interpretation at the breakdown. And it ended up in, in an awful game, and mainly because 
Sale couldn't work out the fact that referees were trying to referee the breakdown according not to new rules, but to the old laws. <laughs> and th they turned it into uh, something played at a funereal pace. When there's no one there, and you see teams taking two minutes talking to get to a line-out, you just think, come on, for God's sake. And I was just putting myself in the position of someone sitting on the sofa. I call it the front line at the moment. Rugby's got to get these new viewers. People can't go at the moment. There's people watching on telly. Got to get hold of them. And if I'd have been someone who never seen a game of rugby or just a couple... And I watched these forwards just ambling around from scrums to lineouts. I'd have just thought, what is the point of this game? And I'd have turned the TV off. Stuart, was it exacerbated because there were no crowds? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've said this before. Crowds are an amazing thing. They can hide mediocrity. For mm. so long, there have been Six Nation games that have been rubbish. But because Wales want to beat England or Ireland want to smash Scotland... The quality of the game is forgotten as long as your team wins. But when there's no one there, it's a club game. And let's face it, club supporter base is not like Manchester United or Liverpool or the great Arsenal. Then effectively, you're left with, uh, I hate to use the word, the product that's pretty flat. And you're thinking it's all been packaged. There's a lovely box and we're told how good it is. And you open the box up. And I would say there were bits and pieces. I, I love the way Marcus Smith is playing. But overall, it was a massive disappointment. And you say, I want my money back. I think this is one of the really interesting debates. So, you, as Barnsley, you're right. It's um, If you watch the, the Kiwi rugby, it's just nowhere near it. I would say that over the six-game skill execution in the Premiership was average to low. So... Should, should we be being charitable on that front, going, well, it's the first game back, well, there's been no pre-season, this will all get better? Or the other part of me is thinking, they've had, they've had, well, they've had five months off, they've had two months of incessant training to be prepared for this. Surely the timing and the catching and the passing should be absolutely spot on. I don't quite follow you all the way down there. I, mean, I know what you're saying, but actually, uh, you know, let's be fair, we do pay money to watch intensity, and we got that. But also, Keogh Hobbs scored a great try, a lovely try. So did Josh Bassett, scored two lovely tries. And I think we've been a little bit careworn about it, a little bit overcautious. Don't forget, there's only five teams in New Zealand to learn the rules and for the refs to get around. We, we have 12 in the, the Premiership, and I think it'll get better. But I also love a, a, a really intense game. So I wouldn't be too panicky, Stuart. I've written during lockdown, and I still think and there's a question of whether we've got enough good players to actually have a 12-team league because the fall-off in intensity is great. And what do we do to make up for it? We sign a lot of overseas players, which doesn't help the national team. And it's not about the national team, but I think it's an issue. And I think the other thing, Steve, is there's no doubt at all, the basic skill level is massively below. There again, it's, that's not... Um, Southern Northern Hemisphere, that's New Zealand and the others. And, and I, I spoke after the Bath game, I asked Declan Kidney about his take on the difference between the New Zealand games and the England games. Barnes, you never get an interesting answer out of Declan Kidney, but carry on. Declan Kidney said straight away, the skill level in New Zealand players is much higher. And he's right. And he said, especially the forwards. I watched so many forwards run hard at people, straight into people in New Zealand they're trying to use footwork to get half a shoulder and then they've got the offload. And it's a good offload. And Kidney made the point, 
and that's why I was slightly somewhere with Steve on this, in that there's not going to be an immediate improvement. There's no miracle cure, because in New Zealand, when you go there, if you watch kids playing at school, their skill level very, very high, and their understanding. And I think if there's a real problem in England, it's not the clubs, it's the fact that we have, as a rugby nation, become quite obsessed for a long time with size, weight, and power. We don't have the Islanders New Zealand have, which helps them. It's a shortcut. But we are obsessed with that. Athletes don't become professional rugby players with a level of skill that New Zealanders do. And I think Kidney's right. So let's get this right. You would like someone like Dame Margot Fontaine to be signed so we can have all sorts of artistry in the game. Oh, I don't think no, that's no. what we've always been about. And actually, I got this amazing feeling I was there somewhere. Was it Yokohama? Where New Zealand were absolutely blown to bits by, by a magnificent, skillful England side. So already in the new podcast, week one, we are already slobbering at the altar of New Zealand. I love the game between Bristol and Saracens. There was skill there. Anyone ever seen Rotimi Seagum play? Alex Lewington, who I've never really looked at, was tremendously skillful. There was great stuff there. So too, Sheedy at halfback, there were, there were skills there and there was massive intensity, which no one had the right to expect. And if you want to go and play rounders, that's fine. Hey, Bristol are going to be one of the exceptions. And do you know why? Pat Lamb is essentially one of the most Southern Hemisphere coaches there's been in the Northern Hemisphere for a long time. And by the way, I'm not belittling the intensity. I'm just suggesting that culturally we are very weak. Okay, England smashed New Zealand. There's no doubt. But look at the record between England and New Zealand. Look at the wins for one and the other. You can't just pick up one result and say, there you no, go. No, we're that talking happens. today now. We're not talking six months or six years. We're talking today. What's no, happening okay. today? We, we, we talk today. If you think that the Crusaders or the Blues would have been blown away by Bristol and Saracen's intensity, you're absolutely wrong. And I will say, they've had an extra eight weeks and the Premiership will get better. And I'm not massively knocking it, but I'm just saying we remain a country where we're better at finding ways to slow others down and create ourselves. And until we stop doing that, Steve, you know, I don't understand. We, we sell our soul to private equity and then we say, well, let's just muscle up and bash each other. CVC, and I'm no fan of the whole thing, will not be saying, I've got a great idea. Let's keep this game in a slugfest. I found myself really enjoying that Bristol game, which was maybe slightly worrying because I think that means I've become a purist. The intensity was great. The, the, the drama towards the end was great. But I had mates getting in, in contact with me who were rugby fans who said they thought it was boring. And I, and I just don't think that's good enough. As Barnes said, we've we got to find new eyeballs. And I think we'll, we'll probably lose them at this rate. Albeit that was a one-off, it was a wet day, etc. But if that's the game that we're saying, that's English rugby, then I don't think it's good enough. OK, well, we'll, try, we'll get on to old uh, Tony Spreadbury next week. See if he'll... Um band tackling and then we have lots of frothy old rubbish. Saracens, um, I don't know, boys, I've seen a fair bit of them. Much changed team, uh, no Farrell, no Barrett. I think either of those players would have taken them to victory because they did have the best, the better of the game. But also a real generation coming through of, of good players. Kira, did you see enough to suggest that next year with Malins and all those guys back, Saracens are going to be right back on top of the pile? Because I can tell you now that they are. They're the best 
managed the best coach team in England for all the stuff talking about outs off the pitch. They're outstanding. And I thought, you know, Saracens now, everything is leading towards their game with Leinster. But the commitment they showed with that team they put out against a good side who had everything to play for was outstanding. I think that's one of those games, Steve, where Saracens lost, but they'll be annoyed to have lost because it's not in their DNA. Oh, they were furious. But they're smart enough to know that that would have been a decent step for them towards Leinster, which is, when all is said and done now, their one big game. I was hugely impressed with their commitment, with young players like Lewington and people like Richard Wigglesworth, 37, and he's still putting it in there. I was a fan before all the stuff about the Saracens. I was a fan before uh, lockdown. I remain a fan of what they do on the pitch. Owen, oh, um, Exeter now surely has to win the title this year. It's theirs to lose, you would say. So I just want to say about Saracens and, and you saying they're banged on for next year. I think the really interesting thing for next year is they do have an outstanding team, possibly even improved their first 15 with their lone players coming back after a year's experience elsewhere. But what they will lack next year, Steve, is they'll lack the strength and depth. They haven't got two first 15s as good as they were in previous seasons. So that is where they will be tested. They might not get a home semi-final and that will be a problem for them. But I found them on Saturday just phenomenal and every single test of their player spirit, player pride, etc. They just seem to come through despite everything that's happened. I think they're an extraordinary story. And Exeter, Owen? They seem to just pick up where they left off. The, I thought the, the law interpretations might be problematic for them in their very diligent, safe recycling game. But they've, mm. they're obviously more than that. I really enjoyed that one because I thought I thought Leicester were really going to give them a problem. But Exeter just they they move up a gear. They they remain they remain for me the the, the standout favourites because they've got continuity. They know what they're doing. You know the, the the chief threats are Sale and Bristol. Sale and Bristol are in effect new teams just finding their way, whereas Exeter know the way all too well. I think it's important to just before I go on to ask you about Exeter Stewart to say that Bristol. Uh, where they were best was when they were taking on a, a, a Saracens pack, which was actually full strength. And that was a great sight for, for Bristol because they did give Saracens trouble up front. John Afoa remains one of the great overseas signings. He's about 73 now, but he was brilliant. Also, I just think for Exeter that Johnny Gray has made a much heralded entrance would have to really go some to get in, in over Johnny Hill, as far as I'm concerned, because at the moment, of those two players, I'd have Johnny Hill every time. Stuart Exeter, uh, you've always loved their uh, close driving style. You've never criticised them for uh, taking the ball and uh, driving around the fringes. Uh, you must have been <laughs> electrified by them on Saturday. I have always thought they have a second best coach team in England. I have huge respect for them. And they can play some great rugby. I, I think Exeter, more than any team, have understood how to play the laws of the game at the breakdown. And that's been my criticism. They do play with width at times, but they play this sort of 30-phase rugby. And that ain't the way the game should be going. And it remains to be seen what will happen. I say, as you have said and Owen said, they are clear favourites to win the title. They have a very good pack. They know what they're doing. They've got outstanding backs and they have continuity from before the lockdown, from last season through. So first of all, they are the team everyone has to beat. But there is an issue here, and it goes to the officiating. One or two people said to me, referees in this hemisphere, 
They're trying to get a balance. In New Zealand, they blew everything. And we got a lot of penalties. I don't want that balance. I think we've got to keep blowing and we've got to be hard to make the game faster so we don't get on a Monday morning blowhards like me moaning about how slow the game is. And if we do that, Exeter could find life difficult. If we don't, then they're going to walk away with the title this year and fair play to them because, you know, you play what what the referee is blowing. They should, in theory, struggle to keep the ball. But, yeah, but on Saturday, they kept it all the way through. You know, what, what happened, though, throughout the weekend, one thing, if you came in from the side, you were getting pinged quite often. But what wasn't happening, if you were in possession and you had forwards going over the top in the old Exeter way and keeping their tiptoes on the floor and their hands there, they were getting away with it. And they weren't the only team, lots were. And that's why we ended up with a breakdown that was about securing ball. And Exeter are brilliant at securing it and keeping it. And then they got people like Slade and Hogg who can do magical things with it. But the whole point of this speed up is meant to make the breakdown quicker. They shouldn't be allowed to put their hands down no, on the I know, ground. That's the, off. And the difference is in New Zealand, and I'm not talking about the players, Steve, but if you look at New Zealand, the difference is the rucks and breakdowns are super fast. And you have to get a scrum half there quickly, like Smith, to shift it. Our breakdowns are still quite slow. You're getting props there and they're throwing out rubbish as they were before. We have to make the breakdown quicker and that is where Exeter will be tested. But from week one, I think that there's not enough of a change. Can I just ask, Owen, um, from your observations at uh, press briefings and what you've seen and also what you saw on Saturday, is there any sign that Leicester have turned the corner? Well, I, th- I think they bottomed out, I'd say that much. I think they looked different because they, look, they looked as though they knew what they were doing. George Ford's drop goal I thought was interesting. He, that's not been a strength in his game and he nailed an absolute beauty. I, that you, you could see, see the areas where, where Steve Borthwick's gone in and gone, like, we can make gains here, we can make gains there. Their line out, surprise, surprise, was good. I think their line speed and intensity in the first half was, was really good. They, they, they looked like a spirited side and so I, I was really excited for the for the first like half hour. I just wonder at this stage, do they have the do they have good enough personnel? Looking looking at team sheets, I just I just don't think they match up against an Exeter at the moment. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Stuart, you went to Bath. You were always prepared to travel vast distances from your home wherever rugby is played. If only they could move the new bar stadium near to you, you could walk to it. But you've had another sort of love-hate relationship with the way they play and the way they've been over the years, in common with all the other clubs you've been to. Are they on the way back? And have they made bigger strides than Leicester? I think they were in a better place than Leicester before lockdown. And I think they may have made a bigger stride because the signing of Ben Spencer gives them for the first time in quite some time a high-class halfback who can put them in the right position. And I'm still not at all sure about their back play. I mean, you've got an ex-second row line-out expert, director of rugby, and you've got Neil Hatley, head coach. It's not an area where you'd expect the back to be strong. And we saw mm. glimpses from Joseph and Watson, but no more than that. And, and they don't seem to quite work out how to get the backs playing. I don't think Josh Matavesi at 12 is the answer. But with Spencer there, Steve, they have a scrum half who can put them in the right position to the extent they've got an outstanding driving line out, as you'd expect for Charlie Yule's captain and Hooper D.O.R. And they scored 14 points from that and they took the game away from Irish. And in its own way, that has been the template for Exeter, who keep possession and then from penalties, they get down there and they score close range. Bath look quite good at scoring close range. They've got a catalyst in Ben Spencer, who can really make them play in the right parts of the field. And if Bath play in the right territory all the time, they've got a pretty good defence. I think they're very strong contenders for the top four. They've also got an excellent impact scrum. Their forwards that come off the bench are powerful. I think they've got a good scrum. They've got a good line out. And with the scrum half who knows how to play the game, it might not be pretty, but they'll be quite hard to beat. Leicester Bath, Welford Road will be fascinating at the weekend. Worcester Gloucester was a great start for the new coaching group they got at Gloucester. Gloucester appeared to be all over them, played good rugby. Even Barnsley and uh, Slotty might have uh, in, enjoyed some of the rugby that they played. So It was largely against 14 men for most of the game, so yes. you kind of, you kind of got to bear that in mind. They, they, you, they would have hoped to have beaten Worcester anyway, so it's kind of hard, hard to assess, but clearly a really good start for them. I'm interested how the relationship between Skivington as a young DOR or head coach, Alex King and Cipriani will work. I think King and Cipriani will work really well. Uh, there'll be an empathy between them. People say, oh, you know, players, if they ever coach, if you're a fly half, 
you effectively do coach. And I think Danny Cipriani working with King will make him better because there'll be two-way street between player and coach. And it won't be this horrible thing where coaches say, this is what you've got to do. And, and I think Gloucester will be far more, not just fluent in attack, because they were fluent before, but I think they'll make better decisions and I think they'll be continue to watch. One of the prime reasons that Gloucester was struggling in the, the earlier part of the season up to February is because Cipriani was completely lost what he had in the season before for various reasons. As, as Barnsley said, he was re- reportedly really good on Saturday. They brought in a coaching team that looks almost designed to bring out the best out of him personally. And he clearly responded. I mean, he was in every, every um, team of the weekend in all the newspapers today. I mean, that's quite a big thing to put in a coaching team with so much focus on a specific player. But so far, on, on one day's evidence, it, wasn't, it was quite a smart move. Well, I don't think there's a great premiership without a great Gloucester. So that, let's see. Um, the final game of the weekend was at Northampton and in many ways was the key game because it was between the fourth and fifth place teams. Uh, at the end of it, the fifth place team had taken over at fourth. Now, a lot of us think that uh, the Wasp board have been very poor over the years and should have resigned had this, uh, this season not gone well. There's certainly some dead word on that board, uh, former players who don't appear to be contributing. But um, it was a, I, I love the game. Northampton will be ringing a few alarm bells, but difficult to mention the game without going straight to Jack Willis, uh, Owen. Oh, God, they've really got something special there. He was so much fun to watch because he's a, he's a big, powerful man, but he's got so much appetite for it. He doesn't seem to pick and choose particularly which, which breakdowns he's going to attack. He just sort of hovers around almost every single one of them. And as soon as he yeah. sees that it's the slightest opportunity, he just goes in for the kill. It's, uh, and it's, it's hilarious to watch with the, the success rate he has. So what, once you've got a platform like that, and it wasn't just him, you know, they've got a back row of him and Thomas Young and Brad Shields, both good over the ball. Joe Launchbury, excellent over the ball yesterday. Once you've got that platform, then you can start playing the sort of rugby that Barnes and I apparently are allowed to like from time to time. And, um, uh, and, and then you've got this kid, Jacob Umanga, who, who looks like he's just playing with a bunch of friends, doesn't seem to be remotely bothered about stress, having mm. to win, the pressure on him. He just goes out there and, and enjoying playing rugby. And, and the, the back line, they, they gave us two really, really lovely tries. Stuart, uh, Jacob Umanga, discuss. England seems to have a lot of good fly halves coming through the ranks at the moment. There's Simmons at Exeter. There's Marcus Smith, who I think is the best of them all. Umunga. Sea Space is confident, has a light touch to his game. He's very good, but we are at a time when there are a hell of a lot of very, very good young fly halves in the Premiership. Um, I'll ask you both the three great fly halves, young fly halves we said there. Simmons, Umanga, Smith. Owen, will you rate them from uh, top to bottom? And also, do you think anyone is going to upset this season the Ford-Farrell axis? Well, I think those three are are clearly behind Ford and Farrell, but um, at some point, one or t'other is going to get an injury and Eddie Jones will have to commit to something else. So, so my view on them is, I think Marcus Smith is closest, possibly because he's played the most the most rugby. Jacob Umanga, he's he's only really just starting. He's come through really, really fast. Joe Simmons I like, but of the three of them, I think he looks like a really good premiership player, but I'm just, I'm just not quite convinced that he's test class yet. 
maybe that's because of the way that X the X are playing, and he doesn't show that much. I think apart from control, but so so happy to be proven wrong. Three great players, and a year ago you'd have scratched your head saying, "Who's next?" Stuart, uh, and the only one near Ford and Farrell, and in, incidentally, my. It's always lovely when we disagree because Joe Simmons to me is substantially ahead of the other two. I like Simmons' running game, and, and I, defense of him, I would say, if you play for Exeter, paradoxically, it, it's a bit more of a problem getting into the England setup because Exeter have such a system that works so well for them. That's a bit different. I think Marcus Smith is clear of the other two because I think a fly half's first role is to read the game and to have the vision to put others into the right places, be they centres, be they forwards. I watched Smith before lockdown and I watched him on Friday night. He has got time, he's got pace, he's a tough little nugget. He strikes a ball beautifully. He sees a game of rugby like this. I think Umonga has got lovely skills and can do bits and pieces really well, but I'm not certain... That yet translates into being a test player. And I think Simmons would be my number two behind Smith. And as I said in the paper today, Steve, I, I think he's that good. You might call him a sort of English version of Nick Evans in the time of Dan Carter. Because mm. I honestly think this kid, Marcus Smith, could be quite something. I'm, I'm starting to upgrade my view of him very fast. Owen, oh, can you just talk us through Northampton? Because... A home game against anyone, if you've got aspirations to win the title, you've got to win. And actually, they were quite substantially second best, were they not? Yeah, they were. I, I, I think that's an interesting thing you said, a home game. You know, to, we, We're just learning whether a home game is a home game anymore. But you're right in the assessment of the quality of their game. I mean, they, they, they competed pretty well, but they were pretty inaccurate. And that Wasps back row just, just didn't let them really get much of a footing in. Chris Boyd, the, um, the director of rugby afterwards, was, was really disappointed. And he said that looked like the pre-season game that we needed. He, you know, he said, he said, I didn't see that coming. I thought we were ready. So two ways of looking at that. Either they weren't ready and they're going to be a, a lot better next week. They're the team that finished off before lockdown on a really poor run of form. And they're not as good as we, we possibly thought they were. We have all seen football matches with no attendances. Now, we've been to games under lockdown, really. I actually found it a lot more eerie in ways disquieting than I thought. How did you find it, Stuart, at Bath, as an experience? Quite hard. And, uh, you know, it's the ground, obviously, that I know better than just about anywhere than the, the room I'm sitting in now. And certainly the day before, Steve, at Harlequins, I kept looking over the footbridge on the 316 to Twickenham thinking last time I did a game it was England Wales and it really mattered and it felt hollow it felt like it felt like a theatre with no one in it and I was doing a little piece for the times beforehand and you just got this feeling this is not going to be a good game because there was no crowd coming in there was no, as a player you know as you get nearer and you're warming up there's a, more people come and there's a bit more noise and you get a bit of adrenaline to go to the, the, the sort of technical stuff and the players couldn't pull it out and, and, and so were just languid because of that and like you Steve I, I felt it was rugby found a little room that COVID-19 didn't know existed mm-hmm. and it slipped in and it had a game but it didn't feel like the real thing yet other than the fact people were playing for uh, wins and losses and points. 
Let's say the first start that a great job by everyone who got the games on, and we, oh. of course we cannot forget the horrible casualty counter, which is obviously more important than going to a rugby match. But uh, now we're there. Owen, oh, did you have that same sense of slight weirdness that Stuart and I felt? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was fully prepared for that. How, however, was it going to be anything other than than weird, eerie, unusual, stale, mm. or, you know, all, all those things? I mean. So I, I went to two live games over the weekend. I knew that it would it would sound weird and feel weird, but I was looking to see what effect that would have on the players. You know, would the players not respond, or what, would would they be affected by it? And, and I think overall, sort of commitment intensity levels, I thought were really really high. I thought the rugby looked like a looked like an English Premiership game of rugby, albeit that it, it wasn't. You know tries and, and hoopla, but but that, I think that's another matter altogether. The the, the area that I that I thought. Um, maybe it was affected, is actually what Barnes has already said, is when you're walking to a line-out, when you're walking to a scrum, that is the moment when, we, as we all know, that's when the, the crowd are really on your back, really stirring mm. it up, really raising that level of anticipation. And that was the only area. But I thought the players did phenomenally well to, to, to give us a version of rugby that looked pretty much like the one we're used to. OK, I think we've done um, uh, a fair job there, uh, assessing the first week of the restarted Gallagher Premiership. Next week, we'll have uh, elements from the Celtic League to throw in as as they start. Another fantastic innovation this year was yet another name for people who've been dropped from the team and have got to sit on the bench. We've had finishers, God knows what that means, game changers. Well, that's fair because when the subs come on, they do change the game, they get much worse. But Bristol now have system players. Slotty, what is a system player? Can you please explain? I don't know. I, I'd like to be a system player on, on this pod. I feel like yeah. I, I work, I'm working the system as best I can, though I did drop out for a while when my system broke. Yeah. But you wouldn't know about any of these as you always refused to go off when you were playing for Bath. Um, so you, you, you're a bit uh, outpointed here. We're going to go on now to our... God or Goddess of the Week. We'll start with Owen, then we'll go on to Stuart. Who was the God or Goddess of the Week? Who was towering above everybody, Owen, in the firmament? Nothing clever or, or, or smart for me on this one, straightforward. I was at the um, Northampton Wasps game yesterday and Jack Willis was a giant. I mean, it, it was being written up uh, in today's papers by almost everyone as someone slamming on the door for an uh, England selection. Oh, there the, quite a few decent England back rowers now, aren't there? So that's interesting. But yeah, he, Jack, Jack Willis was brilliant. He is the God of the Week. Stuart? Players in the English League were players like Spencer, who box-kicked brilliantly, and Willis, who created carnage at the breakdown. So for my God of the Week, I am going to try and pick a player to upset you, Steve, and I'm going to stay in the Southern Hemisphere, and I'm going to go Aaron Smith. The most creative player on the planet in the last two months. He understands how you get a breakdown moving quickly. <laughs> My God, what this premiership would look like with a player like him. Aaron Smith of the Highlanders who hammered the Hurricanes. <laughs> no, seriously, it's a great choice, Banzi. Yawn! Mine was John Afoa. I've already mentioned him. John Afoa has been retiring for the last 12 seasons. He is a warrior. He's a cornerstone he plays as if he was playing, got Bristol blood in his veins. And John Afoa is, is my God of the Week. Thank you for listening to our first ruck of the new season. We'll be back next week in which we'll be reflecting on the second week 
of action and also looking forward in only a few days' time to the first midweek action. What an absolute, well, bind that's going to be for anyone who's got player welfare in mind, but actually maybe rather exciting for the fans. Thank you, Stuart Barnes. Thank you to Owen Slot. Thank you to our valiant producer, Mike Bovril. Is that his name, Fluffy Bovril? Something like that. Best wishes to Lawrence Delalio, last seen crossing Exmoor. Thank you for listening to The Ruck. Well done, Jonesy.